0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode 215 of the Employment Law and HR podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment law specialist and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide advice to both employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. One of the things that we like to do in this podcast and with Reemployment Law advice, is to provide as much information as possible to both employers and employees to enable you to be the best employer that you can and for employees to solve their problems. We have lots of information and resources on our website. We offer some free templates but also lots of guidance for you. If you use the search function on our website you will find lots of information that's up to date and guaranteed to be relevant in relation to the current employment law. You can find all the details on our website, which is realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. And if you'd like to subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter, then you can send an email to Kathy. That's Kathy with a K at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk and should be pleased to add you to the mailing list. Now, in this episode of the podcast, I'm bringing you an interview with Jan Brooks from Arl Access. Jan runs a charity, Isle Access, where they provide advice to individuals and organizations on the Isle of Wight about how to maintain accessibility, both for visitors, employees, and anybody else who'd like to come to the Isle of Wight. So without further ado, I'm gonna get into this week's featured content. So I'm very pleased to be joined today by Jan Brooks. Hi, Jan. Hi. Could you just explain to everybody who you are, a bit about yourself and how you're, you got involved with Isle Access?
0: Okay, so I'm Jan Brooks. I'm the CEO of a local charity called Isle Access. And our aim is to help improve accessibility and inclusion for disabled people on the Isle of Wight When we say disabled people we also include people with long-term health conditions people with poor mental health and it's not just residents it's uh, tourists as well any improvements we do make we realise that other people in society will benefit so for example if we encourage someone to put a ramp into a location it not just doesn't just help people who are disabled It will also help people pushing prams, push chairs, people with um, bikes. There's a wider benefit to a lot of the the alterations that we can make. We work with businesses, local councils, other organisations, provide advice. I do access audits, so we'll go and have a look at a business environment, and provide a report on how accessible it is and suggestions and improvements to be made, some of them quite quick, quite cheap, Um, others a bit more long term and probably cost a bit more. We provide access audits, we provide training, we've just done some disability quality training in the middle of uh, September and um, we also provide some mystery shopping, from a disability point of view to businesses that want to sign up to, for us to do that. So the projects, our big projects that customers see, we've got a fleet of adapted bikes, which means that anybody can ride a bike uh, that's not necessarily just a two wheel bike. We've even got a bike that um, has a platform on the front so we can wheel a wheelchair a person in a wheelchair onto that platform and somebody sits behind and rides and cycles so i say it makes our cycling accessible for for everyone and a lot of people come to us and use it for physiotherapy perhaps they have knee replacements or something like that but so that's the adaptive cycling called Isle riders and then the other project that we've started recently is very relatable to this podcast. It's supporting young people, not just in employing to get into employment, but also socialising. So that's young people with disabilities, long term health conditions, or poor mental wellbeing. And we recently produced a film, which the young people decided on the topic. And the topic was, it was from a survey that the Youth Trust did last year, which out of, out of three and a half thousand responses, 48% of young people identified as being, feeling very lonely and isolated. So the, the film was from the young people's point of view, looking at loneliness. It was quite surprising that we found out during the filming, That out of the six people that were involved in the filming three of them had had thought about suicide it was really quite shocking really but we've kept the young people together we're doing social events in a little group with them and uh, yeah so that's quite a positive outcome
1: yeah so where can people watch that video is it available online it's um it will be on our website
0: later this week It'll be, um, it'll be up on the website, which is www.isleaccess.co.uk and people can watch. It's only a five minute, just over five minutes long. The young people were also involved in the production of the film, so they helped on the day of film. So they decided what the topic was. They decided on the content and helped write the script for the narrator. They were involved on the day uh, filming not only as being the subject of the film but also behind the scenes and they were involved in editing the film so it was a complete process to give them an opportunity and insight into the filming industry and um, hopefully that you know that might lead on to some employment opportunities
1: well that sounds fantastic and it's interesting to hear the overwhelming response from people saying that they felt lonely in a world where we feel much more connected these days, and you think of young people being on social media all the time to say that they feel lonely, it's rather interesting.
0: It is, and they are very much online. Their socialising is to do with people being with people in America, Asia, or wherever through online gaming, and that is their the extent of their socialisation. The problem is these young people, they've all got learning differences and because of the learning differences, they feel different to other people. So if they go into a room with with lots of other people, they feel different. And that starts off this cycle then of becoming, you know, sort of not being involved, becoming socially isolated and lack of confidence. So at least with their socialising, the six pe- uh, young people are now socialising together. So yeah. we go out, I take them out, and it's usually once a fortnight we go and do an activity. We went bowling last time just before I went on holiday and uh, we had a really fun evening together. So they've, they've bonded because they are a group of people like each other. They feel that they, everybody understands them because everybody's in the same position. so we've now got to work work with them to identify what it is that they would like. They talk about they're wanting spaces where they can meet people like themselves. So we we're starting this week we're meeting with them over pizza and uh, drinks and that so we're trying to identify if they had if we had a space. What would it look like? What would they do there? What would be? What would they get involved in? What would they want? It may be they would do gaming, but at least it would be face to face sort of thing rather than, you know, in in the same room rather than halfway around the world. Because as we're all aware, you don't know who you're associating with. At least if they're in, you know, in the same room, they might. That might help. They might, they'll all have different needs, what they, what they're wanting the space, to, the space to be used for, but that doesn't matter. We can, we can look at it and try and en- enable that to
1: happen. And with regards to Isle Access, we've also just mentioned that obviously it's based on the Isle of Wight. Are there yeah. organisations like Isle Access around the country? So if, if there's somebody listening who's based somewhere else, is there a similar organisation there?
0: There are, but mainly they're related to tourism and improving tourism. I mean, that's what, you know, we started off doing. So it is encouraging, you know, sort of more tourism to the, um, but around the country there are different organisations and they're usually called something like Access Cornwall or Access Derbyshire, things like that
1: and so you said that you've branched into other things and you talked about them helping employers and equality so um how do you help in relation to supporting employers and employees with disabilities in the workplace
2: okay
0: right so it's important just to say that i'm not an expert in this i can only relate to my experience and um, knowledge that i've just gained from people i mean DWP are a great source of information, as are organisations like Scope, they are more expert than I am. So I mean, mainly what we do is we've had people working with us and volunteering with us who have got um, various disabilities, and when we talk to them, we meet them, fortunately our office is accessible, it's in an accessible location accessible to get into the office because that's one of the fir- one of the first barriers that people face is they can't physically get into uh, buildings we don't have interviews we have talks i hate the word interviews because it immediately f- puts you know the fear into people so we talk and one of the important things we ask everybody that comes to work or volunteer with us is what can we do to help you work to the best of your ability. You know, what can we provide for you? What is it you need? We've had a, a student who was waiting for an operation on her back. And she said, well, I really need a soft back chair, a comfort chair. So we got that for her. There's various different things. We had somebody who was deaf working with us. So obviously she it was difficult for her to answer the telephone. That doesn't matter because then we just think, well, we, there's other people in the office that can answer the phone or it goes on answer machine. It's important to ask anybody whether you think they've got a disability or not, because there are hidden disabilities. It's important that employers always ask to an interview, you know, sort of what can we do? what is there anything special that you need that we can provide for you to help you do your job well?
1: I love that, Dan. Um, that is uh, you know, so simple it and is. straightforward it's, and it works for everybody, doesn't it? Because, you it know, does. you might not have a disability, but there might be some barrier or something that somebody needs. But simply asking the question yeah. and starting that dialogue, it doesn't have to be what are the technical reasonable adjustments we can do or are you covered by the Equality Act? It's as simple as how can I help you to enable you to do your job to the best of your ability So it's a simple, it's just a simple
0: question. And unfortunately, people are not used to being asked that. So they're a bit stunned when I ask it. And so, you know, we try and reassure people and um, explain why we're asking. And there are things if somebody wants something special like... Perhaps a keyboard, that they've only got one. They can only use one arm. Perhaps they've had a stroke or an injury. They can only use one hand. And you can get a special keyboard for that purpose. You know, there's access to work, which is run through the DWP, where an an employee can ask for the, the piece of equipment to be provided, to be bought for them. So there's, there's various things that can enable people to you know to to work
1: and i'm sure that there is a solution out there for yeah. everything really you yeah. know there isn't it'd be surprising if there isn't something that hasn't already been tried or thought of in relation to all kinds of abilities and disabilities and it doesn't have to be costly does it no not at all it's just understanding it's taking
0: time to understand people and listening to people for example one of the young people on our on the film that we made he's been so socially isolated he says on the film he sits in his bedroom all day wishing he was dead that's a quote from that film so when i talked to him i found out that he'd got an a-level in graphic design and as part of the film processes four day workshop we did i invited somebody from the island who's involved in graphic design to come and give a talk to see the, how graphic design can be used in films and um, how to, or how to promote a film. And he put some examples upon the board of pictures of posters and asked us to, you know, what did we think? And this lad, Isaac, he commented on them all and he was saying, well, I don't, I think it's too much dead space and I don't like that colour and I'd move that there. And at the end of the session, the um, the person giving the talks, and I really like his ideas. And since then, he's been doing then um, Isaac has been doing some graphic design work for this this person, this business. And he's also been asked to illustrate three children's books that somebody's writing. Now, if you don't sit and talk, if nobody sat and talked to him and found out that he He liked graphic design and and then found out that he was quite good at it by using a professional. He would never have got that opportunity. Isaac probably never have got any sort of employment or opportunities if we hadn't sat and listened to him.
1: And so you mentioned earlier about access to work, which is some government funding, and that's available to any employer to access via the employee who has a, a need, isn't it?
0: It's the employee that has to apply for it.
1: I don't think there's any qualifying criteria for employers. So, you know, it could be a big, small, medium, whatever, yeah. as long as it's the employee who has the need.
0: Yeah, if it's a really large company, okay. yeah. And I understand that there may be a, to be a contribution from the employer, but for most of the smaller businesses, it's free to the employee.
1: And so Jan, in your experience over the years, what are the best and sort of most innovative ways of employers embracing those with disabilities and making adjustments? Is there any particular things that stand out for you? First of all, it's
0: how you advertise the job. And um, a lot of these platforms now that jobs are advertised on, you have to complete an online process. And sometimes those platforms are not accessible to people who use assistive technology. So people who have got poor vision or are blind will use what they call a screen reader. And the screen reader will read out the text on the screen, does what it says on the tip. But if a platform is not accessible, it's not been written in an accessible way,
1: then that's the first barrier that people can come across. It's interesting you should say that, Dan, because in the last episode of the podcast, I covered a case where the employer had not made adjustments for someone with dyspraxia with their mm. online form. And the, the employee in that case, or the applicant, should I say, had been asking for alternative ways to apply, saying he couldn't yeah. complete the form. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that as the first example.
0: Well, it's just looking through the journey. So that's the first thing that people come to is the job application. And if they can't apply for it because it's not accessible for them to apply with. Then that's the first barrier, and then it goes goes on to the actual interview process. And um, as I've said already about inaccessible venues, if you've got stairs to get up, some people might not be able to do that. If the interviews are inaccessible, so the tests and the formats, if you're setting people tests, they've got to be accessible as well, just like the job advert. The job application. I really don't understand why people do tests and that these days in interviews. To me, it's if you can provide evidence and, you know, things like a video or you can show people what you can do. Even going for a job for working in a cafe or something. If you're wanting somebody to make sandwiches and cups of teas and that, you can put all the things out for them to to do that, to make a, a cup of tea and a sandwich and just say, I'm, I'm just nipping out for 10 minutes. Can you make me a cheese sandwich and a, a drink or something just to see what their ability is? There's other ways of interviewing. I think one of the biggest barriers is the attitudes, the preconceived attitudes of um, employers and people that are already working in the business. So there's somebody else I know on the island who's got an a son who's got autism, He's he doesn't communicate with, he does with his family, but not with any other people. And um he couldn't get a job. And if you looked at him and said, how was your weekend? He would turn away, walk off and go and do something because he couldn't cope with the social interaction. And he couldn't get a job. So his parents were in the fortunate position of being able to buy a business. So that they could employ him. And this lad, he does all their sales reports, monthly sales reports. And if they've got a spreadsheet and they've got an an error on it, he can find that error within five minutes where everybody else is spending hours doing it. You know, so there's the negative attitudes of people that, um, instead of looking at what they can do, they're automatically assuming everything, you know, things they can't. That's another of the big barriers.
1: It's that lack of flexibility, isn't it? I hear it all the time from employers and I yeah. think they they don't realise they're saying it, but oh we can't do that or oh, they can't do that, we can't yeah. change that. Well what have you ever thought why not? Yeah. You know, why not? Yeah, yeah, why why can't you change your process to enable that person to do their job?
2: Yeah.
1: And I was watching and, sorry, go. On. Well, I was just going to say, and actually, there really, really isn't any. If you break it down and they think about it, it's just like you say, that preconceived idea that they can't make the change.
0: I was watching uh, what was it Race Across the World with the celebrities. Um, yes, It's a new series, yeah. And Billy Munger, who's a young lad who's bilateral amputee, and had a racing car accident um, in Morocco with his sister. And they decided to get some work at a tanning factory. And when they got there, she was expected, or they were expected to get into these little pools of of fluid with the leather in and sort of trample it around and that. And Billy said, well, you can do it to assist sister." And she, he said, but I can't, my, it would damage my prosthetics if I got in there. And they couldn't speak the language, but they managed to communicate with the owner of the factory about giving him something else to do that he could do. And so he was given a job of carrying all these leathers and that to from A to B. And um, he did it, you know, and he did it well. So, there's, you know, it's just looking beyond the disability and, you know, just looking what people
1: can do. And I think that all too often employers are afraid of the potential consequences of getting things wrong. And that may be a barrier. But as we've said, if you ask the question at the outset and you yeah. make the the changes, and there are so many organisations like your own out there who can help employers and employees and guide you on, on really what's needed. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's
0: all sorts of advice. And say there's organisations like Scope, there's DWP, there's all sorts of people that can give the advice. It's just that, that willingness to pursue the, the, the possibilities and um, to look for the um, solutions rather than just constantly looking at barriers.
1: No, yeah, and I think that's been fantastic. It's been a real eye opener. For me and put it very simply there about how employers can look at things so mm. um, if if anybody wanted to get in touch with you Jan or to work with you in future how's the best way to contact you um, well my email address is info at
0: uk, and say so the website is www.isleaccess.co.uk And they're the easiest
1: the easiest ways to get hold of me. And I'll put all the links in the show notes if anybody does want to contact contact Jan. And of course, your organisation is a charity, and so you are reliant on donations and fundraising, sponsorship, and yeah, grants
0: and and that.
1: So if anybody
0: uh, wants to help us on that sort of thing, then please get in touch. I'll be
1: delighted to talk to you. Well, it's been fantastic, Jan. Thank you so much for your time. That's and okay. as I say, if anybody wants to get in touch with Jan, I'll put all the links in the notes below. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to take a moment to use this podcast to raise awareness for Zoe's Law. Zoe's Law is all about melanoma awareness and a campaign to make it law for all moles that are removed to be tested. Currently, the law doesn't require anybody who removes a mould to test them. Eileen Punter is Zoe's mum and she's going to tell you about Zoe's law herself.
2: She was going into work and she just said oh I feel really really sick so I said well where are you and she was in the car park she worked at the hospital she's a radiographer and I said you're best going in because you've been scanning Covid patients they might want you know you might have caught Covid and they just said no no, you haven't got Covid but go home you might have caught a sickness bug off the children because she was so bad. She didn't Told me about 11 o'clock at night. I took her back to the hospital. They did a scan that night. And I think now I can look back on it. I think Zoe knew what she saw as well, but didn't want to scare me. And she, they said, Oh, we think it's your gallbladder staying overnight. And I spoke to her all night. She was going, she did say to me, What if it's cancer? And I was like, Don't worry. They can deal with that now. There's so many, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, so many different cures of cancer. You'll be fine, Zoe. Don't worry. And then it was, um, well, it was only 55 days later and she died because it just spread through her body so quickly. Two years ago, the doctors said to her, um, well, if you're that worried, go to a beautician and get it cut off. It's nothing. And I was with her that day because I said, well, surely you cut them off and test them. And they said, oh, we don't have the funding for that anymore. We don't do it. Uh, Zoe's Law we set up after we lost Zoe cause Just to raise awareness about melanoma, skin cancer Because I n- didn't really know anything about it I I just thought, you've got a mole, it's turned bad Or something's wrong with it, they cut it off And that's it. And it's all done and finished. I didn't realise what a a really nasty cancer that is. And also to advise people, if you've got anything, don't go to just a beautician, get it cut off and thrown away. Go to a doctor's, get proper advice. Get them to refer you to a proper dermatology or skin clinic so that they are checked properly.
1: So I hope you found that interview with Jan helpful and insightful, somebody who's working on a daily basis in relation to inclusion and accessibility in all aspects of life. I really liked what Jan said at the beginning there about the Number one thing that you can do as an employer or HR professional is to ask somebody, how can I help you to do your job to the best of your ability? And I think that applies to everyone, as I said before. So if you have any questions or would like any assistance or support in relation to making adjustments for any employee within your organisation, then we can certainly help. You can get in touch with me directly. It's Alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Or you can contact the office on 01983 897 003 and we'd be happy to chat to you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. I really appreciate your support and I look forward to speaking to you again in two weeks time.